the Lord has truly gripped me on where we as a body need to head. I actually feel like I might as well repent Why? before we get started. I really feel in my heart that we as a body have not focused enough on Christ returning. And I, f I feel like that can be a, a very big problem because it's the mandate of the church to prepare for his return. And I want to look at a few passages tonight that show the vitality, the supremacy of the New Testament doctrine that is aligned with the Old Testament, bringing it to fruition, that God has a way bigger story than we realize, and it's so humbling. But when we step into it, it is, it's so gripping because his love is jealous. His love is jealous. And he doesn't want anything else to consume our thoughts, consume our decisions, our minds. He wants to sanctify our choices. He wants to sanctify our decision-making. And he does that through the promises. But there is no greater promise than he's coming back again. And I think sometimes we make doctrine and theology that tries to celebrate so much of how much we have in this life. When really, this is the question that the Lord placed in my heart as I was preparing this week and so forth and specifically today is why are you clinging on to dust when you are destined for glory? Why are you playing with dirt toys when I have golden streets ahead for you? Yes, the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us, but the Holy Spirit is the seal of our inheritance. We got to stop magnifying how great this life is. He's great and he's coming back again. <laughs> oh. Can we talk about heaven tonight? Father, we thank you. Father, forgive us for at times being more consumed with today than we are with eternity. Lord, open our eyes, as Paul wrote in Ephesians, open the eyes of our understanding, enlighten our understanding tonight with the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Let us see past the fog of this this world and let us see that there's one coming back on the clouds there's one coming back for a, a pure bride that his sacrifice has given her a white wedding dress that his sacrifice was perfect and complete but it was unto something it was unto a wedding it was unto reigning for thousands of years 
not just this little moment in this life, no. This little moment we gladly lay down in light of what is to come. Let us see Jesus afresh tonight and let it ruin the taste of every trivial pleasure of this world. Let us not beg people to say yes to Jesus. Father, tonight, Holy Spirit, make the yes the most beautiful decision that anyone could ever make. And to those who have already said yes, Lord, grace us to say yes like the first time again tonight. Fill us with fresh tears of joy because you're gonna wipe every tear away one day so we might as well let them flow for you here. Oh, we thank you for liquid revelation tonight. Heart water. In Jesus' precious name, everyone said, Amen. Thank you so much, Evan. Can we thank the worship team again? It was so beautiful. Oh, man. Oh, I'm going to need tissues. Oh, man. Just take the box. That's everybody. Oh, you got me already. Oh, thank you. Uh, you see, uh, I really hope you know that, like, there's something about letting the scriptures touch your heart. Um, you, we have to get to a place where the things that we believe are not here, but they're here like so deep here because there's so, and I don't, I, I, I don't like speaking generically, but just for the sake of illustration, there are so many Christians or believers and I was one of them and I have to repent when I fall back into that category. I don't wanna speak down on people. I really, I know where I was and I know where I can be, amen? And that's having mercy and grace. It's just so easy to say I believe that, or I, I know that, or I've heard that, but it's another thing when it penetrates you to a point where you, you, you don't wanna do anything else, like you don't wanna continue to waste time. Like, does anybody know what I'm talking about? Like when you get gripped with the revelation of God and you realize how much time you've been wasting. You know what I'm saying? Like that's called conviction. That's called like, I see you God and I see how much time I'm wasting. I see you, God. I see how much um, all this anxiety I have for, for nothing. Like you, it gets exposed so quickly when we see him, when we see him rightly. Last week, I had a precious encounter that accelerated some of the things that had been burning in my heart. And over the next couple of weeks, we have William Hinn next week, but after that, I really do want to take some time and speak about some things that are going to really prepare our body and us as a whole to be so focused on his return. Is that exciting? You know, because I, I don't know about you, but even when I sometimes hear about somebody want to talk about heaven or things like this, like the huge problem with the church is that if I know a lot of people won't say this out loud, but a lot of people don't find heaven desirable. And I, 
the reason people don't find heaven desirable is because they love this world. And they're actually fearful that the things they love the most in this world will be absent there. I'm ex- this is exposing hearts right now. If heaven isn't desirable, then somebody hasn't preached Jesus the right way to you. Because I don't know if you're in this place and has anybody ever been invited to a wedding of a, a relative or maybe a coworker that you weren't enthused to go to? Come on, don't you act all holy in this place. Have you ever been invited to a wedding that you weren't really excited to go to? What was the first thoughts that you started? They better have good food. That wedding band better be pumping. Matt Winter, is that right there? All of a sudden, you're just like, you know, well, and then you're like, well, I can dress up, uh, you know, maybe take some pictures. So all of a sudden, when we don't really want to go somewhere, we start finding reasons that we could still be excited about it selfishly. And, (laughs) and... And the reason I give that example is because sometimes I really believe there's a lot of Christians that are not excited about heaven, but they'd actually really just rather stay here and have God answer their prayers sometimes. But they really love this world so much. And I'm telling you, that's not what this book teaches. He's so beautiful. He's so worthy. And he has something prepared for us. Something that's going to blow our minds into oblivion. We are going to get there and find out why they have nonstop been singing holy. We're going to get there and we're not going to be like, man, I just hope there's some good music. We're going to be like, what? Why did I care so much about stupid things when I could have given myself completely? And I'm not saying to go, you know, Paul even had to address the Thessalonians. He had to say, you know, don't quit your jobs and everything. You know, you still work, you still, but we're doing it under something. But Paul preached heaven in such a way, everybody quit their job and said, I just want him which means he preached something so radically about his return that it caused people to make radical decisions. And then he had to correct those radical decisions. But I'd rather correct radical decisions and see a bunch of people go to hell because they don't desire Jesus. And they haven't heard him preach that way. I'm thankful for our body. I'm thankful for the way we worship. I'm thankful for the way we love. But we have to constantly humble ourselves to say there's more. And I truly believe tonight is that paradigm shift where we're going to get excited about he's coming. And we're not going to shy away from scriptures that seem confusing or hard to understand. We're going to submit ourselves, read them, and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal them to us. And if we don't know all the answers, we're so thankful the one who does lives on the inside of us. And we will patiently wait and we won't draw our own conclusions with our own opinions. But we will wait and we will continue to study the scriptures as in Acts 17, 11, daily study, 
daily study to find the things that are spoken that are true. Oh, I just want to imagine. Aren't you thankful God gave us an imagination? Some people use it for horrible things. The enemy knows how to manipulate an imagination. But God knows how to bring so much pleasure through imagination. I want you to imagine right now a place. I have to say something before I even tell you that. Like you, you, you have to understand the greatest moments you've ever had in this life that were from him were just breadcrumbs leading you to the irresistible marriage supper of the lamb. Because <laughs> some of the reasons we cling to this life so much is like, well, I, I still, I love my family. I love all these things. I'm telling you, you don't get it yet. And I'm not saying to be cold to people. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, this produces the opposite. Because it, it removes selfishness completely from the equation. The greatest moments we've ever had in this life, the greatest relationships that have come from God that you have in this life are only the breadcrumbs leading to that moment. Did you know it says, oh, we're gonna, I'll read it. I'll wait, I'll wait. I want to say that, can you imagine, can you imagine a place where there is no stain of sin? Where there is no stench of death? Where there is no residue of guilt? Where there is no debris of shame? Where there's no concept of regret? where there's not a single trace of manipulation. And in this same place, peace can be experienced without measure. Joy bubbles up and there's no lid to contain it. And love wraps itself around you without condition. Every endearing affection of God is encountered, unfiltered for the first time. Can you imagine? I'm telling, you see, even your best moments you've ever had in this life, no matter what, there is still residue of sin in this life. There, no matter how hard you try to love someone, no matter how hard, there's always going to just be certain things. The Bible even says the prince and power of the air, that there is still powers at work in this life that'll continue. That's why the Bible says, what do we need? A glorified body. We need one. Our spirits are longing for it, crying out for it, but some of us are like, I want to stay here. <laughs> there is no fear in death. There is no fear in death. And I want to read passages that, that really show, show this tonight. But can we imagine for a moment 
Has any, can anybody say that they have felt the weight of their sin at times in their life before they knew Jesus? I'm talking feel that pain. Has anybody felt guilty before? And felt, have you ever felt shameful before? Do you know all those feelings and emotions, there's not a trace of them. <laughs> he wants it all gone. This is what he has prepared for us. Sometimes our minds go to, oh, it's going to be mansions and things like that, and that's beautiful, and that's amazing, but I'm just talking about the environment. I'm just talking about how beautiful it is going to be to love him and worship him without thinking about somebody I got into an argument with that week or without something I failed in, but just loving him purely. If you could, let's go to John chapter 14. We have some scriptures to cover. Jesus said this to his disciples. And if you're unfamiliar, John 13 through 17 are passages of scripture where Jesus is speaking to his disciples in his final moments upon the earth before his crucifixion. These are precious conversations filled with so much revelation. And one of the, the main themes is the person of the Holy Spirit. Do we love the Holy Spirit? Oh, we love the Holy Spirit. If you come from any denominational belief where the Holy Spirit is not a person, I just, I, I ask you to open your heart to the realization that he loves you and he wants to guide you. And don't limit him or limit God to just it being, I just ask, open your heart and ask God. I know a lot of people in this room, our body loves the Holy Spirit, but anybody watching, or if somebody came for the first time tonight, they think the Holy Spirit's just a power. I want you to know he's a powerful person, and he loves you, and he wants to guide you, and he's the promise and the gift of the Father. We'll be talking about him tonight. Verse one of chapter 14, Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, everyone say, my Father's house, are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Everyone say, I go to prepare a place for you. Isn't it awesome that Jesus was a carpenter? I believe our Father is creative. And intentional. I believe that Jesus was a carpenter because he's been building since the beginning. He's been building his kingdom. Does anybody imagine real estate, homes built by Jesus? <laughs> Somebody just got excited. We're talking the carpenter of the ages. Everything. But you see, he can make the best home. But it's that we dwell with him forevermore. Verse three, it says, 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Everyone say, come again. And receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And where I go, you know the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. And how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, the the Father's heart is where the idea of heaven comes, where the, the landscape of heaven comes. It's the Father's heart, but the only way you're entering where that reality is is through the outstretched arms of your bridegroom, Jesus. He's prepared this place, and I just want to create a longing in this room that we would truly desire And I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm a little spacious because I'm just, I really want this to, to land in a way I want to do this justice because the way that God's gripping me, I, I, you know, the Lord could tarry beyond our lives, but I don't want to live like I know that. <laughs> I don't want to live like that's a reality. You know why? Because I want to be with him. I know that the Holy Spirit gives us the taste of who he is. But don't you ever tell me I can experience what I'm going to experience when I stand before him with unveiled face. Before him. If you can experience that right here, right now, why do we even desire his return? (laughs) We desire his return because he has something planned for us. He has something prepared for us. And he's looking if there's a bride with wide eyes. Excited for that. And there was a a statement that a minister, Samuel Whitfield, said, and he said that a bride who isn't consumed and obsessed with her coming wedding is alarming. Have you ever met a bride that's about to get married and all she talks about is the wedding. Like you ask her about her job that week or what's going on, she's like, all of a sudden the wedding comes up in the details. No matter, you ask about how the weather is, wedding. Right, you can ask about anything and the conversation goes to the wedding. I wanna ask you, does the church, are we consumed and obsessed that our bridegroom is coming? is when anybody tries to talk to you about what's going on in the world in the media. Do you immediately say, yeah, the world's going to the hell in a handbasket? Do you say, he's coming? He's coming. Does every detail that should normally freak you out actually cause your heart to say the birth pangs are coming and you want to talk about him and the wedding because you're truly a church that has been taught to delight in the second coming of the Lord. That the second coming of the Lord is not just some eschatology class that people learn in Bible college, but every day you are on the front lines saying, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come. That when you hear about all the things going on in the world, you don't complain about it, but you begin to intercede and pray. Lord, use me 
to provoke and prepare your return. Yeah. And, and there's so many scriptures, help me. Look. So um, we'll be on this for weeks, so I'll, but turn to Revelation 21 because I want to know this place that's being prepared. Do you? This is the mistake we make with scripture. Sometimes we'll just hear a truth. We'll hear a principle. Jesus is preparing a place for me. Mansions. Yay. Read your Bible and find out what's being prepared. Find out what it is so your heart begins to long. You got you to gotta long for this. I'll tell you what. There's, there's people in the room that you find something you love, a hobby or something, and all of a sudden, you'll, you'll start studying that thing. Somebody will fi you know, find a new sport they like, and they want to start playing it. They'll start buying all the gear. They'll start finding all, you know what I'm talking about. And I'm not saying there's something wrong with that. I'm just saying that you're wired to do that, but a lot of believers don't treat the word of God this way. And the reason is, is because deep down, there is still such a love for this world. And I'm not saying not to have hobbies. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that if you can get that fired up for trivial things in this world, don't tell me you can't study the word of God and fall in love with Jesus if you believe he is who he says he is. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it because we have to get to a place where we realize that this thing is true. Every man is a liar and what God says is true. We do have to be bold in what we preach. I want my children to see that I longed for him in everything, that I was not just a dad that was not present and just up, you know, just doing my own thing on the phone or watching TV or just, do. I want them to see a life laid down. I want them to see the gospel. I want, them to, I want them to desire his return because they see how much I long for him. I don't want them to be okay with just a nice little life here because that's what has got us into this mess. The church is in a mess because we've exalted, and I, I, without saying names, I just want to say that we have to realize when we have books that are written in Christianity about live your best life now, I want you to understand, this is the worst life now. This is the worst life. It's going to get amazingly better. If this is your best life, you've misread this whole book. Am I the only one that sees this? He says he's coming back and we want to stay here because we got a few more things we want to do. Could you imagine a bride? going to her bridegroom saying, there's still a couple guys I want to sleep with before the wedding. Could you imagine? Wedding's off. Unless we serve a God, the God of Hosea, that even when you love the things of this world, you could be awakened tonight and he will marry you again and say, I have something prepared for you. And if you're unfamiliar with Hosea, God used him as a prophet to marry a prostitute to show his relationship to Israel. Go marry somebody that's completely unfaithful to show Israel how much I love them. And I'll even take them in their filth and their mess and I'll bring them back to my heart. There's a wedding coming. 
And you need to get your eyes on the prize, which is Christ Jesus. Revelation 21, verse one. We're not gonna read the whole chapter, but it's tempting. Uh, <laughs> now I saw a new heaven. <laughs> if that doesn't excite you alone, because I, I, I believe the heaven right now is a better than this world, but there's even a, a new heaven being created for us. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Does that sound like our lives? That we have to pass away. These earth, earthen vessels have to pass, we, we will all have to die. If the Lord tarries, in, but you, what the, the thing is understanding is that there's, the Lord is about rhythms and patterns. When you're reading scripture, you have to see the patterns to understand his heart. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, the writer of Revelation, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Can you imagine seeing this? Stop reading this and just acting like, oh, I get this theology. <laughs> what do you mean? A whole city is coming out of God. And you're not excited about that or what that looks like or what's going on? God, this is what you have prepared. <laughs> but listen to the language. Coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. This is like the wedding gift to Jesus from the Father. Like, this is the place where you're going to dwell with your people forevermore. <laughs> I just, I just love Jesus. Verse three, and I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them. God will dwell with us. Not just the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us, but God will literally, there won't be no filter anymore. There won't be any distance. There won't be that there won't be any more things holding us back from seeing him in his glory and who he is. And he has this prepared for us. He's done all of this. He died on a cross. He gave up, he bankrupted heaven just for this, what, he's, what we're getting towards. And we think that just a breakthrough in our life is the pinnacle. Like just getting a breakthrough in a situation or something. We're like, oh, this is the pinnacle. I'm telling you, that is the smallest and I'm saying get excited about that, but this is leading us somewhere. This is taking us somewhere in glory. He will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall not be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. I don't know about you, but if, how many times in your life have you just wished that everything could just start over? Is any, everybody else perfect so far? Great. 
I don't know about you, I've had many times where I was like, I wish this situation could just start over. I just wish I could handle this differently. I wish, I wish, and God says, I know, son, I know, daughter. There's coming a time where I'm gonna make all things new. You just love me and you long for that day and you show people who I am in whatever gifts and talents I've given you and you long for that day and you will overflow the gospel. You'll preach it to everyone. You'll share it with everyone because you're longing for this day. But verse, when I'm finishing all things new, he said to me, write these words. They are true and faithful. Did you just read that? Not only do we know God's words are true and faithful, but he actually wanted to make sure we knew it again when he's talking about this. Why? Because I think it's very hard to believe. John, what you're seeing is beyond comprehension, but remember I'm faithful and true. Remember what you're seeing is not just some figment of your imagination but this is in my heart and this has always been in my heart. But watch verse six, it's very interesting. He said to me, it is done. Now that's, I find that that's a very peculiar statement because Jesus on the cross said what? It is finished. But you know what I think of him saying it is done here it actually reminds me of Luke 11 when Jesus taught us how to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That when Jesus says it is done here, he's saying that because you've continued to labor in prayer, because you continue to long for the restoration of all things, it is done. Because what is truly heaven on earth? Heaven on earth is when Jesus is enthroned in the middle of everything. And we can have that by principle in our lives, but I'm talking, this is saying heaven on earth because this is a new heaven and a new earth. Jesus is teaching us to long for something. He's teaching us to long for something so precious. And if you're in this room tonight and you're even feeling a little disconnected from this message, like I just, I need to know how to get through today. I don't really care about Eternity, I just pray right now the Spirit of the Lord would illuminate to you how actually you being fixated on that will actually cause you to be more conscious to reality. It'll cause you to make better decisions. Your discernment will be heightened. He said it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. A few other verses for you. Actually, and just going down a little bit, the New Jerusalem, in verse 22, it says, I saw no temple in it, in this place, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Do you see that? The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The lamb is its light. I don't know about you, but that should make every Floridian happy. 
the lamb. No more humidity. We're talking perfect light. Perfect warmth. Perfect. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory and honor into it. Did you see that? You know what that means? That means every tribe and tongue God actually designed. And that they're all going to bring the glory of their nations into heaven. We're going to have Africa in heaven. We're going to have Asia in heaven. Like all the glory of the nations and the the beautiful things about these tribes. We are going to see it in the way God desired us to see it in heaven. I don't know about you. That's exciting. That answers questions. Its gates shall not be shut all by day. There shall, it is, we're 24 7. <laughs> Waffle House in heaven, baby. <laughs> Manna House. <laughs> and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, but there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie but only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. What is that saying? It's saying that this is going to be the best party experience ever and there's nothing that caused you harm in the other life allowed in. (laughs) This is what he desires for us. This is what he wants for us. Isaiah 65, 17 says, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. Can you imagine? This is what this is saying. This is saying we're going to be in heaven and we're not going to even have a bad day of remembering our past and finding a way to force ourselves to worship him when we feel down. This is saying that what is coming is going to be so explosive to who you are that you'll have no trace of remembering the former things. (laughs) Psalm 84.10, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Now watch though, because sometimes we think And I I, I want you all to hear my heart. I want to be the first one in a room worshiping, loving on Jesus. But when we say these are the courts, I think we need to be watchful of understanding. Like this is figurative. We're we're getting a taste of it. But there's going to come a time (laughs) where we're on the literal courts, the courts of God. And this is what it's saying here. He says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Okay. Have you read about the heroes of faith in this book? The patriarchs and the matriarchs. Moses, David, Elijah, John the Baptist, Paul, Peter, all these great men of God, women of God, Ruth, you go down the line, Esther, Mary. Can you imagine when we get to heaven, if any of us were like, 
you know what, can I get on stage and say something real quick? <laughs> I don't know about you, but could you imagine us walking into a room with all of them, all the patriarchs and matriarchs? That's when David said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper. What he's saying is, I just want to slip in the room and worship the one who they've been worshiping for ages. He's, it's just, this is what happens when we realize how big and great he is. We just wanna slip in the room and just be thankful we made it in. And we look around and see the price that all the martyrs have paid. Everybody has paid and we're not saying, oh wow, I did so much. We're saying, now I see why they lay the crowns down. Now I see why, now I see why. Jesus like, I wanna give you a crown and we're just like, <laughs> We just want to worship him. We just want to thank him. We, we, we're just thankful to be in the room. And you know what? I think we should train ourselves now. And when we walk into a room where everyone's worshiping, maybe we should not, dis, not covet the stage or the microphone, but we should covet the floor. We should covet the back part of the room and just get on our face and say, I want to practice for eternity. I want to come and attack the same spirit that got thrown out of heaven because I want to dwell in the courts of God. I, I just want to slip in the room and focus on the one that all the people that I even admire are worshiping and longing for. I'm just going to break this down because I really want to awaken the come Lord Jesus cry in the room for us all. And is anybody, is anybody feel it in their heart? They're just talking about this, just getting it awakened. I really, and I, 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 we'll see where we get, but there, there's this one point I want to make real quick. And I really believe the devil has the enemy the spirits, the principalities of the air, darkness, have worked over time to dilute what awaits us. Watering the revelation of heaven down to just some angel singing on the clouds. To just, you know what I'm saying? Just, just another angel in the choir type thing. Just watering it down to yeah, things are better because there's no more pain, no more sorrow there. And it's way more than that. Yeah. And the devil has put so much cold religion around that revelation. And I want to show you that 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17 says this, do not love the world. Okay? It's Bible. Why would it say do not love the world? Because I truly believe loving the world dilutes your longing for Christ's return. Loving the world, there's so much venom in that. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in this world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It is not of the Father, but it is of the world. 
So what happens when we love this world? We're loving things that aren't him. Do you see the problem with the wedding day? This is the contrast. But then verse 17, it says, the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So when I read that scripture, you know what my heart would say? Lord, I wanna know your will. And he says, son, read it. Do it. And I'll reveal to you. Revelation 13, five through six, exposing why the enemy is diluting the revelation of heaven and the second coming of Christ. Well, Revelation 13, five through six says, this is speaking of what the Antichrist is going to do when he reigns in the earth. And we're gonna talk more about that in the coming weeks, but one of the things he does is it says, he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, or in some transla or translations, dwelling place, and those who dwell in heaven. So what is the Antichrist coming against? He's coming against heaven and the dwelling place because he knows that that creates a longing in the bride. And the church has done a good job of not talking about it at all or watering it down so much that it's not creating a sanctification in our desires. Because what does it say? He comes back like a what? A thief in the night. So if you are truly believing he's returning, it'll actually cause you to live holy just based off that revelation. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how doctrine and theology actually just line up if you read it? It actually makes sense that his return creates a longing in those that know that they're ready by the blood of Jesus. And it also creates a desire to walk and live holy by the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside, not out of legalism, but just literally out of the revelation of Jesus. That the Holy Spirit is not going to lead you to live an unrighteous lifestyle, to prepare you for a wedding. So let me do this. This will help us. There's three things I'm going to give you very quickly in closing. You ready? Are you ready? <laughs> I truly believe that the second coming of Christ, that this revelation of longing for his return is actually creates the proper framework and the central flame to our desires and prioritizations in life, like the priorities. Like I really believe, and I, I wanna scripturally show you that very quickly. And if we have to take more time on this aspect, we will, but there's other things we're gonna to get to in the coming weeks. One passage I, I did skip over that I wanna share that you all know very well, but we gotta make sure we let our hearts rest on this is Matthew 6, 19 through 20. Does anybody remember? Do not lay up for yourselves, what? 
treasures on earth. Do you think Jesus is just giving a suggestion there? Now, you gotta grab the revelation here though because what he's trying to say, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And what did Paul tell us? He says that our citizenship is where? If you truly believe that, then this verse hits you differently. I want to ask you honestly. I, I see it, and I, I'm telling on myself here. But sometimes when I read this verse, my first thought doesn't say when I wake up in the morning is, how can I store up treasures in, in heaven? I don't, I'm just being real. I don't wake up with that thought process. If you do, awesome. But when I've been reading this and getting excited about his return and it been, being stimulated in my heart, I'm realizing like, wait a minute, this is what the apostles were doing. They're laying their lives down because they, they're longing to store up treasures just so they can lay them at his feet. Yeah. Just building these treasures, getting crowns in this life just to lay it at his feet. Just to, that there's something so glorious waiting that for me to waste all my time and effort on just building a really big bank account here, not saying that God doesn't want you to prosper out, please don't hear what I'm not saying, but I would challenge the heart motive behind it all. And that's what Jesus is doing. Because we don't realize how quickly our love turns into the world. And just so you know, the Antichrist will mainly use economics to reign. And if you love this world more than you love him, and the systems of this age are already based around money, if you don't know how to say no, or if you love this world more, you gotta prepare. And that starts by daily decisions. That starts by us being a body together, burning over the scriptures and home groups. That starts with us, and oh, oh God, I gotta get this. So here, here's the three things. Oh, wow. I, oh man. Okay. I just realized there was two pages I missed. So I, So I want to give you the three. That's where the, I, I, I sense the peace on that, but the other stuff's really good. We'll get to it. <laughs> just for the record, I don't care about how polished the sermon sounds. I just want you to know the word. I just, I, I want you to have the same excitement, the same zeal to talk about these things. I'm, I, I want to make this condensed so you can all walk away. Because if you just hear a good sermon about longing for him, but you don't know what to do to get there, then tomorrow you'll, you'll be thinking about this, you know, Thursday night football. Your mind will be consumed with something in this world so quickly before your heart's just so burning. And there's three things that I, I, I believe. And you know what's so amazing about these three things is it's the heart of our church here Biblical, but I really believe it's the mandate of the whole, whole church, but that is intercession, 
evangelism and discipleship. These three things, I just wanna sh shoot them at you. So I never even told you the, the sermon title, speaking of polished sermons, because this will really hit that the whole train of thought tonight, yes, we're talking about heaven and the second coming, but it's a question. Are we content with his absence? Or have we built church in such a way that it satisfies the fact that he hasn't returned yet? Are we content with his absence? Or do we literally long for him to come? to restore all things? Or are we okay with how things are kind of restored? Are we content with his absence? I want a, a people that aren't content with his absence. We're, we're satisfied in him alone, but we're not content that all things aren't restored yet. That's why we still are laboring. That's why Jesus said it is finished, but it's not done yet. Okay, there's a big difference because if you teach a theology that it's finished, you'll actually create a bunch of lazy Christians. You gotta teach it is finished so you can labor for what will be done. So when it comes to evangelism, Matthew 24, when Jesus is speaking about the end times, he says, but he who endures to the end shall be saved and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world. Everyone say all the world. All the world. As a witness to all the nations, all the nations. All the nations. And then the end will come. Yeah. Okay, you see that verse? That's telling me why we need to go on the streets every Saturday. That's telling me why we need to preach to every coworker. Because here's the thing. You're not just preaching for an extra ministry thing or just because you're a little bit more fiery than somebody else. You're preaching because as people get saved, his return gets closer. So if you don't have a heart for evangelism, you don't have a heart that longs for his return. You say, I'm shy. Well, I hope you're not shy for the wedding day. Because here's the thing, this scripture is actually saying that in some way, God is partnering with us to provoke his son's return. That we have a part to play. That he's looking for a bride that says, let's go win more people. We're about to get more block parties and outreaches going because it's time. We've been building the home groups to get discipleship going. It's time to get back out. We got to fill up the houses. We got to fill them up with a bride that's ready for their bridegroom. Amen. And I'm not, I have two more verses on that. So Luke 15, 10. This is an eight through 10 is when Jesus is teaching the parables of the kingdom of God. He says, or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me for I found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I had a revelation of this this week, that the reason all the angels rejoice when a sinner comes to the Lord is not just because of, not only because of how glorious that is, but it's because Jesus is getting closer to returning. The reason all the angels rejoice when somebody comes to know Jesus is because they're like, he's getting ready to blow the trumpet. 
It's like you're seeing a, one of those games where the, it's about to fall. You guys know, I, I, I'm a, I, somebody call it out or whatever, whatever. But you, you can tell everything's about to collapse because they're pulling the things and all that. And, <laughs> kerplunk or whatever. So they're all, you can tell the angels see his return is coming. They're, they're rejoicing because of salvation, but there's a bigger thing going on. We don't see it. But all the angels do, and they're like, why aren't they as excited? They're perplexed. Like, God, you really love these people, but they're not as excited about this as they should be. <laughs> That's called conviction. <laughs> Acts 3, 19 through 21. The evangelism here. Repent therefore and be converted. Peter's preaching and it says that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ. What is it saying here? All of you repent because he said he's coming back if you all get it together. <laughs> he's saying repent so that he will send Jesus Christ. Do you see evangelism here? Is this provoking your heart? I don't know about you, but this, Joe, this tells me, I really think we, uh, we should have a Saturday soon where we just hit the whole city together. With this mindset, every person that says yesterday, Jesus is a little closer. <laughs> that changes the heart posture. No longer is it just, I'm not called to that, or you know, I like, I like sitting in the prayer room more. No! We do both. You sit in the prayer room and let God break your heart, longing for him, and then he says, you gotta go tell more people about me. And then come back with them. His absence fuels my evangelism. His absence fuels me to tell the world. Some of you will get on planes some of you won't. Don't glorify, over-spiritualize things you can be doing right now. David was a shepherd before a king, but he needed to be a shepherd in order to be a king. His absence fuels my intercession. You guys good for an extra moment? I really want to take my time for a moment. I don't want to feel rushed, so don't make me feel rushed. Sarah, don't get it. No, I'm just, I'm totally, <laughs> we all, I, I could do it to her because she's not leaving, so. But, <laughs> but we have here that it says, we just went through evangelism, now intercession. Luke 21, 30, 34 through 36. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. Now, there's some people that'll read these scriptures and say, oh, you see, Jesus was just this was before grace. So when he's saying these things, he's being harsh. 
Please don't put words in the master's mouth. Listen to the words in the master's mouth. This is saying, if you're longing for his return, you're watching and praying always. Why would you be praying always? It's because prayer is the foretaste to the communion you really desire. Prayer is dating the one you're engaged to. You're longing for that wedding day and you long to talk, but there's certain things you can't do yet if you're in a marital, if you respect marital covenant. See what I'm saying? That the fullness of that, God has a gift that is gonna blow our minds. But when we pray, is it, do we truly treat prayer as a foretaste to the glory that awaits us in communion with him? Romans 8.34 says, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God? So where is Jesus right now? When people say Jesus is in my heart, what they're really saying, I just want you all to know, is that the Holy Spirit lives on the inside and that he is the spirit of truth revealing and magnifying Christ. But Christ himself, the person, is at the right hand of God, okay? But it's important to know what he's doing because the Bible says to imitate Christ. And right now, he is making intercession for us. <laughs> Do you know why it's great to pray? Because you want to find out what he's praying about you, what he's saying. Did you know right now God is praying for Peyton? Jesus is praying for you right now. He's praying for Matt. He's praying for Jaden. That the moments that you're, you were weak, just like he told Peter, he said, Peter, Satan's asked to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail you. And when you come back, I'll restore you and I'll bring, I'm telling you, in this place, we need to thank the great intercessor. Right now, he could be enjoying heaven. He could be enjoying, but instead he'd rather enjoy your process. <laughs> he enjoys seeing you mature and develop into who you were created to be. He doesn't see this little clay creature, he sees you reigning in glory thousands of years from now. And he says, stop playing with the little things in this world. Come up higher. I got planets for you. <laughs> I got galaxies. I got cosmos. Are we content with his absence? Hebrews 7.25 says, therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. <laughs> who is this man? Who is this beautiful man with eyes of fire, bronze feet, a sword in his mouth, thinking of me right now praying Preparing a place for me. Are we longing, church? Yes. 
Is a Maranatha cry rising? Or are you just waiting for another sermon on how to live your best life now? Finally, and worship team, you can come. His presence, his absence, I should say, fuels my discipleship. We've said evangelism, intercession. I just, many, many have substituted his absence with just nice church. Many have substituted his absence with ideologies and many have even substituted his absence by building their own platforms instead of building relationships. Because discipleship means, does anybody remember in John 17, Jesus said, that when they are one, the world will know that you what? Sent me. So discipleship is us laying down all of our offenses to one another because we long for his return. And that we don't wanna be a witness that actually puts a bad taste in the world's mouth, but it actually creates them to long for it. So this is why we have to be quick to forgive don't assume the worst in people. Go to them, talk to them. Why? Because Jesus is worthy of oneness. It's not about what you think you're worthy of or how you were treated. He's worthy of oneness. And that's where discipleship, that's why, the, that's why some people won't get grounded in a church, local fellowship, is because they don't want to be held accountable to become one. They just, it's me and God. Well, that's not going to provoke the world. <laughs> Matthew 25, when Jesus, I, I could go all night, I'm telling you. This is, I, when I say, I ask the Lord to awaken this in me. I'm not saying this just to be emotional about it. I literally had moments today where my stomach hurt from weeping. But it wasn't a weeping that was sad. It was a weeping that, yes, longing for his presence, but just it was weeping out of repentance for being excited and thankful for things that are so trivial compared to where my heart could be engaged in learning. And I really believe that there's a, a repentance that needs to hit the room tonight, saying, Lord, forgive me for not longing for what you're preparing, for not, forgive me for being so caught up in my life and asking you to do this and do this that I'm actually not excited about heaven, but that I really still want to do all these things here right now. God wants you to enjoy life, but once again, they're breadcrumbs leading somewhere else. The apostles did not get to go to Disneyland and Disney World. The apostles did not get to have those pleasures that we get to enjoy, but we have found ourselves making 
our joy in reality based around those things when their joy was in the return of the Lord, which is why they were willing to die. The enemy didn't have anything to tempt them with because Paul said himself, to live is what? To live is Christ and to die is gain. This is where we'll end. I said Matthew 25, didn't I? Well, you'd have to deal with two more passages, but um, Jesus said in verse 31, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from it. Does everybody believe? I just, I wanna ask you a real question. How many people are excited that he is going to get what he deserves? No more backbiting. Everybody's going to line up, every nation, every tongue, and they're going to realize he, he's the one. That excites me. He's going to divide the sheep from the goats, and he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, come you, blessed of my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world (laughs) can you imagine this being spoken to us in heaven and we just want a new car or a new house and that's beautiful great knock yourself out but if we miss this reality we'll cling to dust when we're destined for glory finally Philippians 3 and this is a reluctant finally (laughs) can I read to you what Paul said how many people are thankful for Paul there's certain people when we read the scriptures I'm so thankful for Paul's yes the blood of the martyrs that Jesus finds so precious. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for culturizing the gospel. Awake us. (laughs) Paul says in a jail cell, Verse 12 of chapter 3. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected. Just so you know, when people say I'm perfect right now, just I just want you to see what Paul says so you make sure you read scripture. I haven't attained it yet. I'm not perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, I forget those things which are behind, and I reach forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call, not just my earthly call, the upward call being called out. I press forward for that moment 
that upward call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us as many as are mature, Lord, make us mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example. Paul, you're in a jail. We don't want to follow you. No. Note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping. He's weeping writing this to us. That they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction. The God, their God is their belly and their glory is in their shame and they set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait, eagerly wait. We're longing for it. For the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. I don't know how you can get any more clear than that.